In a world where Republicans and Democrats work together, things might actually get done. Every day in Charlotte, North Carolina, two council members deal with the city's most pressing issues, like potholes. They don't follow the rules, they make them. Those two council members are Larkin Eggleston and Tarek Bakari, and we join them now for another episode of R&D in the QC. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? We've made it to episode 20, folks. We're going to talk about Town Hall, Scootergate, the budget, the RNC, and we've got special guest Braxton Winston to come discuss police accountability and police pay. That's right, folks. It's episode 20. We've made it to double, double digits. Is that called a triple double in the podcast world, Larkin? It's definitely not called that. Um... And that was awful. Tark asked if he could bring in the show, since I usually bring in the show. Why are you so, you're so, oh, so you're trying to like, you're so soft now. Usually you get loud too. I like how you don't take anyone's feedback. Everyone's telling you you're screaming at them and then you say. But sometimes you have to scream to talk about your points. At least it helps people differentiate between the voices that they think are too similar to each other. So, so how do you feel about one, hitting episode 20, 20 episodes, and two, and we'll announce this to the group. We have officially, at this point, today, surpassed 11,000 downloads for the R&D and the QC pod. That's pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, the episode 20 thing, I don't know. It's a, Even if we'd only gotten 11 downloads instead of 11,000 downloads, I guess we could still do the show. We could be, still do it'd be, it. It'd be kind of pointless. Yeah. That's the beauty of being self-produced and mm. self-published is mm. no one can cancel you. Yes. Um, but, yeah. I'm glad it's 11,000 and I'm not 11, and I feel like this has been a worthwhile endeavor, and uh, so looking forward to the next 20 episodes. And and cheers to you for that one as well. We're also heading to a group of people who have a, not a book club, but a media club soon, and they're going to have us over because they're- I think it's super top secret, so we can't find it. I'm not going to say who it is or whatever, but it's a group of people that have a media club where just like a book club, they've decided to listen to, I think, seven or eight podcast episodes and then they're going to talk about it and when they told us we said oh we'll stop by and field some questions and uh we were supposed to have our big we've announced this a while back we we're supposed to have our big on location recording mm. of r&d and the qc on friday got bumped that out had to get rescheduled because we have uh we told them that we'd do it but contingent upon the ceo being willing to be our guest on the pod and this company recently had a pretty major acquisition that now they uh, have to do some quick overseas travel, yes. so we yes. will bump it out a, a new month. A new venture that they are doing. Yeah, God, you know, it makes me see red that they just didn't have us in. So, <laughs> yes. Looking forward to that. In case you're wondering. Um, so we did have a busy week. We had uh, a budget adjustment meeting I know we'll talk a little bit about. We ended the show last week talking about both of our town halls and pitching them to folks to come out and join us. Those went very well, the both of them, and we'll talk about those. Uh, we had our first meeting this morning of the Intergovernmental Committee, which um, you and I are co-chairing, and I think we're going to talk about Scootergate, which uh, Scooter came back Gate. today. The scooters are back. That's great. And then we uh, we have special guest of the pod, Braxton Winston, who's going to join us for our second episode. He's now creepily staring at us through the glass of my office. Braxton played golf for the first time today. Yes, tiger, tiger, tiger. And he, he, he tried to he tried to sell me on the idea that he had gotten a birdie, 
Uh, we then found out it was a best ball competition, so he kept hitting from whoever <laughs> shot was best, and I'm guessing was left with a, a three foot, a three foot butt yes. by Smudgy. That's great. You look great, Lark, uh, Braxton, today. It is easy to confuse Braxton and I. And, um, and we had a great conversation. We had a really meaty conversation. If you're wondering where we are on police pay, police accountability, Luana Mayfield's text, all kinds of topics. I think it was a tweet. We're uh, tweet. Sorry, uh, it's it's late. It's, it's not, not that late. It's, it's not, not late. that late. Uh, that's all going to be in segment two. Uh, and we did have a meeting tonight, but I think we set a land speed record for a Charlotte City Council meeting. Uh, due to a clerical uh, error, we ended up only doing decisions tonight. So next week's meeting will be twice as long, but tonight's meeting was uh, about a third as long. We were out of there by seven something. So, so let me nice. throw some topics out at you. Why don't we go with both of us in the last week have had our own town halls. Both of them very different in geography of town, in topics covered, yet there is one And in start, food served. And in for food served. I try to be a steward of the taxpayer dollars. You all mine was so donated. Much. Oh, all mine was donated. Well done, sir. Friend. Well played. So I think the one thing that we both uh, share in common with our town halls is uh, record attendance. I mean, just very large interest in attendance, but for totally different reasons. Mine was a focus on customer service. I really wanted to make an overriding theme uh, of of everything we talked about. How can we treat our customers, the taxpayers, the constituents, the, the, the community, more like a private sector company treats their, their customers when uh, that, that materializes in a couple ways. One, how do we inform them of everything they need to know we're doing? Two, when they have ideas or uh, you know thoughts on how we can be better, how do we filter them in? And three, when they have a problem with our service, how quickly and without friction do we get that solved for them? So we had... Uh, police chief, fire chief, airport director, new planning director, um, uh, CDOT director. We had a bunch of folks out there to talk about all kinds of things. It was very exciting, and I appreciate everybody coming. So while mine is the ADD version of every topic you can imagine jammed into one in a talk show style, my partner in R&D here in the QC obviously was a little more cerebral. A little, more, a little more narrow focus. I will give a shout-out. I managed to pop into your town hall briefly uh, that evening. I will give a shout-out to one of my favorite city council alums that was there. Councilwoman Nancy. Nancy Carter. Carter. Uh, former District 5 representative and now soil and water supervisor, I believe chair, um, and a wonderful she's lady. She's always so, so nice. I've known her for a while. She's, she's one of the so nicest nice people. Every time shot. you run into her. And it's amazing that someone could serve on city council for as long as she did and still be so optimistic. Nice, yeah. <laughs> Just exactly. not jaded at all. It's been six months, and I'm about to be like, you know, be the uh, the uh, grumpy the old man. Yeah. Um. So shout out to Nancy Carter. We love you. Thanks for coming by mine. Sorry I didn't come it's by yours. Right. Uh, I made I made a note. I was up. I didn't go to bed till five a.m. because of my police ride along, which we'll talk about later. Uh, Mayor Pro Tem Julie Ice will join me, and uh, and former council member Nasif Majid, uh, soon to probably be one of our state representatives, join. We had a great crowd. Um. And shout out to Queen City Q who donated the food. There were no taxpayer dollars uh, harmed in the in the catering <laughs> of it. in the catering of my Love it. town hall. Love it. We held it at the historic Midwood School on Central Avenue uh, because it was about historic preservation. Built when? How long ago? Uh, about eighty years ago. Wow. 
So um, it was we, very like you had like an all star lineup of like the historical buffs of town, right? I did. So I actually got um, there was one other person I had invited that couldn't make it because uh, she no longer lives here. But it was kind of a shot in the dark. I had invited Brenda Tyndall, who is actually now with the Detroit Historical Society, but used to be here in Charlotte. That was kind of like I said, a, a long shot. But the other six folks that I invited to be on this panel. Uh, kind of hoping I'd get a few of them. Every one of them said yes. So we had, uh, like you, had Taiwo Jaoba, our new planning director, to kind of talk about how in this UDO process we can incorporate rules in that will make it easier for people to preserve historic places, uh, not harder like it often is now currently. Um, we had John Howard, who is the head of the Historic Districts Commission, Dan Morrill, who's the head of the Historic Landmarks Commission, David Erdman, also a former city council member, former Historic Landmarks uh, member, and his historian and author, uh, Mary Newsom from UNC Charlotte, who's the chair of the Charlotte Museum of History, and, um, and Tom Hanchett, who is the former historian at the Levine Museum of the New South and well-known local historian. So, I mean, it was literally an all-star cast of folks who were involved in preservation efforts and, and the, the, the knowing and telling of history in this community, um, the collecting and telling of history in this community. And it was a phenomenal conversation, and I, I was pleased with the diversity of the crowd that showed up from race to gender to age to show the, the broad support, I think, that preserving our history in this community has. Um, we got some great questions. I think we stood around and talked for like an hour afterwards with a lot of constituents, and um, I was I was very encouraged that I think a lot of people, a lot of other people were too, because Charlotte often gets this bad rap as being a place that just tears everything down and wants all shiny new things. I think there is a lot of a lot of support in this community for people who want to preserve some of what tells Charlotte's story and what makes Charlotte unique. So I was glad both of our town halls went so well. I you know I did have staff tell me that we we had pretty good turnouts relative to what they're used to on these things. Um, I mean, and part of that might just be that, again, with a younger generation of council members who are more tied in on social media and, and have different channels to promote things like that, maybe that's what makes the difference. So let's move to the next topic, Scootergate. Larkin, uh, I think we have come hopefully to the conclusion of this story, which is best for Charlotte, for city council, for staff, for the companies involved. For our listeners. Should we, uh, you know, what should we do? Tell the whole story? I think we can toss it out to the field to a friend of the podcast, Mr. David Borax, to get everybody up to speed. David, Take off to you, sir. Electric rental scooters are now legal on Charlotte streets and sidewalks. Last week, three companies got city permits to begin deploying scooters around Uptown this morning after one started without permission. WFAE's David Borax has more. First it was dockless rental bikes. Now it's motorized two-wheeled scooters from Bird, Lime, and Spin. They're appearing under a pilot program that's running parallel to the dockless bike trial already underway. The formal launch comes after Lime put out its scooters a few weeks ago without a permit, says City Council Member Tarek Bakari. Those who have been following uh, Scootergate in the news over the last week or so will recognize that we had a bit of a challenge with one of the companies jumping out and uh, prematurely putting their scooters on the streets. The city ordered Lime to remove the scooters by May 11th, which it did. Lime also asked users to email city officials, and Bakari and other council members were flooded with messages complaining about the city's move. Lime apparently hoped to run the program without a permit. A spokeswoman told the Charlotte Observer it planned to distribute scooters on private property and not obstructing sidewalks. Since then, the city has written rules for a five-month trial. 
If a company like Lime also operates dockless bikes, it can deploy up to 100 scooters initially. Companies without bikes get up to 300. The city will monitor the program and decide in October whether to tweak the permits. Bokari says the trial comes with incentives for good behavior. We're going to have kind of a race to the top uh, with three categories where each month we're going to measure them. Uh, One is ridership. One is uh, the right-of-way and how they're respecting that and using it. And the other is responsiveness to the community's concerns. Companies that score best get an extra 100 scooters, says Bakari. The scooters are part of efforts by the city to expand transportation options, says Councilmember Larkin Eggleston. Bike share, certainly, but also the scooters, to some extent, for certain folks, provide that last-mile, first-mile connectivity um, that might get someone from their house or their place of work to a light rail station or to a bus stop. Just like rental bikes, you pay for the scooters with a smartphone app. They cost a dollar to unlock plus a per-minute charge. For now, the city is treating scooters like bicycles. You can ride on roads or bike lanes. When you're done, you park them at your destination as long as they don't block the road or sidewalk. For WFAE News, I'm David Borax. And we're back. Thanks, David Borax, for that in-depth report. Larkin, I think we're, uh, we're good to leave uh, Scootergate where it is? At least until October, I hope. Good. Talk to us about budget adjustments. All right, so on Wednesday we had our add-delete process, which, um, to clarify, I think there was some misunderstanding when people were seeing hands go up or, or not go up, as the case might be, on certain things. They thought that was, that means, oh, now it's added into the budget or now it's taken out of the budget. Um, this meeting we had this past Wednesday was really all about the manager getting a sense of what there was a decent amount of political will for on council. And so if something didn't have um, widespread support to then the manager's not going to explore it as a potential add or a potential delete. Uh, but to be clear, the, the budget is still in progress. Nothing's final. Um, but it did kind of help steer, I think, the manager's next crack at this. Could you brief? because I have a message I want to directly send to the bike people of Charlotte. Just can you overview the funny thing they did today? All right, so in a Which nutshell. Which it was hilarious. In a nutshell, uh, some cycle enthusiasts and advocates chopped up a few pieces of video from that meeting um, where one of our fellow council members attempted to maybe free up some dollars by taking them from the bike plan that we had gotten full funding for for the first time pretty much ever. And uh, and I pushed back on it. So I loved it because it made me look like the good guy. But um, <laughs> they shared that and it got shared a lot on social media today. Um, and so I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, okay. So what I will say is this. I'm a I'm an avid biker myself, and I love I love uh, making sure not only that we have a great environment for all that stuff, but it, it's safe, which that's obviously a challenge right now. But I will tell you this. My top priority in this budget right now is making sure that our police officers, our firefighters have the right um, pay, incentive plan, retirement benefits, the things they need right now. That's number one. Now, I have a steadfast principle of not raising taxes as well. So I have given multiple examples and options, uh, and I've tossed them out to council to try to uh, do this and take care of it by prioritizing within the existing budget. Stormwater, we've talked about that ad nauseum at this point, uh, but that hasn't gotten traction. When, when I hear another council member say, well, I have interest in, in cutting somewhere else in the budget, I think in my mind, whether how much I love it or not, that is a secondary priority to me uh, than, than police and fire pay. So, you know, I, I'm going to support that. Now, everyone rest easy who's been sending emails all day. You don't need to continue to do so. But you because, can. But that has been voted down. 
Only three of us supported that. So that is a non-starter at this point unless something crazy happens. So I, I don't want you to think that I am the enemy of bikes now. I love biking. I love safe biking. I love the investments we're making there. But I, I am avidly against raising taxes. And I have, to, I have a tough decision coming up. I just have one more question before we move on to the next topic. Mm. Why do you hate bikes? Well, you know, it's a good question, Larkin. And just because you're in the Historical Preservation Hall of Fame and soon to be inducted into the Bike Hall of Fame, uh, some of us and lowly regular uh, working councilmen around here have got to figure out how to prioritize. And, and Congresswoman Adams is going to get me an honorary doctorate from somewhere. So just, I'm going to have a wall. You're riding high. Man. I'm going to need more wall. Indeed. Indeed. So that's uh, budgets, whatever. Uh, Intergov happened today. We talked about it last week. It did. So Mayor Lyles, as we mentioned, recreated the Intergovernmental Relations Committee named Tark and I co-chairs. Best decision she's ever made. Mm. At least two people in Charlotte think. And um, we had our first meeting today, which not uh, highly eventful, but it wasn't intended to be. It was more trying to make sure that everybody on our committee and the council members that have an interest in this committee, even if they don't sit on it, are on the same page as far as what we see as our scope of work, the processes by which we will advance um, legislative priorities and things we want to advocate for to Raleigh or, or Washington, um, and to start to do some of the logistical planning with our council members for eight days from now, um, Next Tuesday, we're going to be headed to Raleigh to work with and meet with some of our legislative delegation to the state House and state Senate. Uh, we got a good group going down for that, so I'm looking forward to that but trip. I think this is going to be a, a, a huge step in the right direction. I, I think you and I leading a committee, first of all, we're the only two uh, uh, newly elected folks who actually get to co-chair a committee of any committee. And I think we're approaching it the right way, which is to really move nimbly, move more quickly, um, put staff on a swivel and make sure that they can operate while we protect our reputation and understand how complex the issues that we're addressing are. And uh, to make us more nimble and then to really, you know, have a formal role in, re in reestablishing after the last couple of years of challenges, a strong Charlotte-Raleigh relationship, a strong um, you know, uh, relationship with Congress and the Senate, and then hopefully also with our municipal partners, specifically County Commission, uh, CMS, and then the, the elected boards of the surrounding counties. I think we can make a lot of difference there. So I'm Absolutely. excited. I'm looking forward to it. And I think uh, I think this trip to Raleigh will be a really good start uh, for council to rebuild some of those, those connections in Raleigh. And um, so we will report back on that. It'll actually be next week's episode because next week we won't meet until Wednesday due to the Memorial Day holiday. Should we do? Trip should we Tuesday. should we take the mics up and maybe do an on scene in Raleigh segment that we then add to the next night? We'll think about. Let's it. think about that. Thinking on the fly. Finally, uh, a bit of information. It was reported in the news uh, that there was a top secret uh, RNC twenty twenty uh, meeting and uh, group of people from out of town. Uh, coming in last week. Uh, uh, it's already been confirmed, but I will also confirm that was indeed the case. And super exciting. Uh, a couple of us got to join um, all of these uh, these folks from the RNC Site Selection Committee for a dinner after they had toured different facilities we had. And, uh, you know, a lot of great presentations were made by city leaders and uh, leaders in the private sector uh, talking about you know, why they chose Charlotte or 
why Charlotte was proven for the DNC that we can handle these types of uh, scenarios, and we're only better since then. But my, my message was really clear. I got to say a couple words to him. And my message was that Charlotte is really poised to change the way that this new generation interacts with civics and politics. I, I truly believe that's the case. When you look at our new council, when you look at how we're engaging, we're using different mediums to get out there. I believe this new generation is about to hit that 30 median age mark, which is the same median age the boomers hit when they really started realizing their potential being involved in politics and civics. And if you pair that with the fact, again, I'll speak selfishly on this R&D side of things, on the R side, that I believe the Republican Party has a set of principles that will resonate if properly communicated to this new generation, that there is a path here in top 20 size cities that makes sense. So it's a match made in heaven for me. Go ahead and disagree, my friend. Well, I just want to know if you're going to get me passes if we get the RNC so that I can go and watch Mike Pence and Nikki Haley battle it out for y'all's nomination. It's going to be exciting history to watch. And um, I, I just want to be there so I can witness those two duke it out. Well, And listen, then you put forward someone for us to beat. Well, look, man, let's not go that far down the route here. Let's just get this huge economic development uh, uh, opportunity have here you, in town. Have you pledged your delegate vote to Nikki Haley yet? Look, man. I, Are you going to be a delegate? Don't we only speak about local issues? Isn't that you our You brought thing? up the RNC. Well, it's a local issue now. Well, not until we get it. <laughs> yeah, true. Are you going to be a delegate, do you think? I, I, don't, I don't. Look, man, I'm just trying to get them here. ED All right. style. All right. ED. Should be a delegate. Those would be good stories for us to tell on the podcast. All right. I was a delegate in 2016. I, I certainly hope I will be again in 2020. And if you're a delegate in 2020, I think it will only bring added flavor and context to the podcast. Will you be on the ballot? Uh, for president? No. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, you're positioning yourself with all these Hall of Fame inductions, everything like that. Uh, Kamala Harris, if you're listening, I will happily accept your vice presidential nomination. <laughs> all right. Well, you heard it here on R&D in the QC. Uh, we've got coming up. Uh, a segment. It's a little long, but I think it was uh, one of the more real conversations we've had of many real conversations in R&D and the QC. We have special friend of the pod, Braxton Winston, that comes on, and we are going to talk about um, the, the delicate balance between holding police and law enforcement accountable and lifting them up and making sure that morale is high and they know they are appreciated. And we have a lot to discuss there. So Larkin, final words on the first segment of our 20th episode, my friend. We've done we've done such amazing work, at least one of us. You know, I'm so proud of one of us. I, I got nothing. It's you I'm proud of, I not know. me. I know it is, and I was trying to think of something nice to say back to you, but I just couldn't. Well, you know what? Let's continue this on the recording of Flashpoint this week. You and I yes. are on. Tune in Sunday morning on WCNC to watch us make Ben Thompson Can, blush. We again. have to strategize on what we're going to do to to, to good, bring some good jokes at Ben. All right. Well, maybe I hope Ben doesn't listen. He'll be on to us already. That's right. All right. Watch us on Sunday after you listen to us today. And also look... This well, is only segment one. This is going great. This is we're coming back. Right, after fine. The we're break. coming back. This Listen, felt like the end of the episode. I don't know. After the break, we've I'm got Braxton confused. Winston, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back. Welcome back to R and D and the QC. So, as a part of our budget discussion last week, we also talked about what has been probably the hot button 
of this budget season in terms of our email traffic, the things we've heard from constituents, uh, and the thing that we've talked about most on this podcast, and that's public safety pay. So not only our police officers, but our firefighters, uh, and a lot of that's still in the works. So with that in mind, and to talk about that and last week's Community Safety Committee meeting, we've got friend of the pod and our colleague, at-large City Council Member Braxton Winston. Welcome back to the pod, my friend. Glad to be here, fellas. Love what you guys are doing. And we love what you're doing, Braxton. Thank you, Tarek. We just love you so much. You're a true friend of the pod. So let's break into it, my friend. We had ourselves quite... So just to frame it, like Larkin said, we and this is the great part of this council, what we're doing and the topics we have. In the last week, we've had two meaty discussions on either side of the aisle. We've had a budget discussion about our police officer pay and raising them up and getting them the help they need. And we've had a public safety committee meeting uh, on the police foundation report, understanding what happened in September of 2016, and making sure we understand the right truth so that we learn from it moving forward and we hold the accountability, uh, which is kind of the you know both sides of the coin of our role and what we need to do. So let's start with the police foundation report. And you, you were vocal. You were clearly in the know more than any of us because you were reading and pointed out to me your name in the actual report. Uh, with different things that you've been involved in so deeply involved. So just walk us through what you were thinking and some of the sentiment as to why you were pushing back on that that police foundation report. Well, the biggest problem I have with the police foundation report is the actual uh, accounting of the events that happened in the street. Uh, So let's be clear about what was asked of the police foundation. They were um, asked to go and write a response to, to kind of dissect CMPD's response to the demonstrations out in the streets. This is, was not a look at the, the actual incident um, that we were responding to as a city. Um, and I, I have a lot of issues uh, with the way that um, that accounting of events went. I don't think they're factual. Um, as, as you um, stated, um, I sued the city. I sued the city and CMPD uh, in September and October of, of 2016 uh, to prevent them from using uh, violence against peaceful protesters. Uh, so uh, some documents from that lawsuit uh, were, uh, were, were cited as sources, namely uh, Major uh, Mike Campagna's uh, uh, affidavit. Uh, for his statement of fact from that time. And I, you know, for lack of a better term, I disagree with the accounting of some of the events. They either, I believe, were untrue or they were pretty much glossed over. Um, and it was a very minimalistic uh, telling of, of, of a much larger story. So here's what frustrated me because, you know, uh, when I heard all that, I, I wasn't thinking, and perhaps maybe you weren't as well, it wasn't about looking back to try to throw the cops under the bus, right? It was right. it was about no. looking back to see a truthful account of what happened so we can move forward learning from those lessons. Like I said, we can hold our process and our police department accountable while we also don't try to throw stones at them and say, you know, that you are bad people or have done a bad job. And that's why I was a bit frustrated when I heard some of your comments of, we paid a consultant like almost half a million dollars and you personally pointed out a couple examples of this is not how this happened and I told you that and I showed you videos. So by no means am I trying to like throw salt in the wound or bring our police officers down. But if we're going to learn of what 
what policies to change or things to make our police officers have better protocols where they know exactly what to do next time. We have to have a, a good accounting of what some half a million dollar consultant report hands us. And, and Tarek, I think you hit the nail on the head. For better or worse, this is not about saying who was right and who was wrong in terms of, 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 of subjective um, um, critiques of actions that were taken. This is about getting it right. For, uh, I mean, now as a city council member, um, uh, we've sat down and we councilmen. You can say councilmen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the R side of R and D, we 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 we're still okay with saying councilmen and woman. Well, we we, <laughs> we you know we 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 are we're taking real serious steps here. We, we convened um, a, a public meeting uh, with our, with our uh, colleagues and staff members to try to figure out what do we do in crisis situations. What did we do wrong and how do we get it right? And we can't get it right in the future if we're not dealing with facts about what actually happened out on the street and how we were responding to this. This is actually a good a good kind of test subject for what we talked about in that tabletop exercise. How do we get the facts to us and then deal with it? Right. So we talked about a little bit last week on the show. Um, we talked about that tabletop exercise. But you guys are both on the Community Safety Committee. I wasn't able to be there last week. Uh, I was at a transit summit out at UNC Charlotte that day. Tell me what, because uh, I, I genuinely don't know, what is the next step with this report? Where do we go from here to either improve the report, as you see it, Braxton, or what's once we get it to where we are comfortable with it, or maybe where it is now, where do, what do we do with it? Do we say... Do we change some of our policies? Well, we're going, we're going to have an, another uh, community safety committee meeting on June 4th, I believe, specifically tailored around exactly what you said. Um, what are we going to do with this report? Um, wh what should we do? And, and I'll do a little more homework to inform you guys a little bit more about mm -hmm. what I was thinking, what I saw um, in that report, um, and, and, and why I, I, I felt I feel the way I, I do feel. Um, but going forward, I mean, that report is the, the report. We're not going to ask them to do any more work on it. Um, so I think it's on us. I think it's on us. Here's how. Here's I how. I think it used to be a Braxton Winston report that we add. Into no, no, the no, no. But actually, here's here's the takeaway well, I had. Sorry, I so, we had a great. Sorry, that that's part of the problem that I had. Um, I have I have an affidavit that was part of that lawsuit. Uh, that was cited dozens of times in the police foundation report. They never looked at that. They never looked at the videos that that I that I gave them that coincided with those times that they were talking about specific times. So that was the question that I asked. If you had all this information, they started the meeting off said this was a, the most filmed, the most written about, the most photographed event in Charlotte history. Well, why didn't you use those primary source uh, uh, documents? They probably never assumed when they finalized this they'd be presenting it to one of the people. Who well, that's the problem, right? That's a problem. Sure, right? it is. It should, Agreed. If it's objective. Look, it should be objective. No, nobody, nobody, I don't think at this point can question my loyalty, support, belief in, in our police department and, and what they do. But even I will tell you, th this is not about them and throwing them under the bus. This is about learning what we can do and what we know from that point in time going forward to apply it to their training, to our policies, to make them more effective and help. This is not about pointing the finger at them. So it's the not. takeaway I got, Larkin, from that meeting was... We discussed it. We had a great and intense conversation. That's a great live stream to go back and look at. And at the end of it, uh, I think we agreed on a couple things. But here are the major things. One, um, we are not going to just accept some third-party consultant's report and adopt it as our own. 
we are going to take that as one input and we're, we need to get some work to work and we need to have other inputs. You have firsthand experience. We have other views. Uh, so we need to get to work to say, what is our position that we're going to adopt going forward from this? And two, and I think this is most important. And I was, uh, you know, I'm always gushing of, of pride for our chief. When our chief came out in the way only the chief does, in not, no, no nonsense, straight up talk, that, hey, guess what? Almost everything in this report points to my group. My, my department, and while we have a heavy responsibility in learning and growing and all of this, there is more in this, in this formula of success of the future than just us. How is council going to communicate and do our part in communicating with the citizens, which clearly we know that was a challenge? How is the community and the Community Relations Committee as a great uh, um, kind of point uh, to, to focus on there, gonna have some tough conversations ahead of time with all parts of our city, right? And be prepared for this to jump into action to help facilitate a community dialogue. There's much more than just the police department well, that has to focus on that. And I, and I think you guys got a, a pretty good kind of look, look behind uh, the curtain at my and, and the chief's relationship. Um, you know, we'll go at each other where we, where we think uh, uh, is, is wrong. It's not personal. You know, it's, we want to get it right. I want to get it right. He wants to get it right. And like you said, he came back with some very uh, illuminating um, uh, critiques as well that I, that I took work that we can do, like you said, as a council. But I am convinced that he wants to get this right. Remember, this was not a CMPD report. This is a police foundation report. Right. Um, and, and I'm not going to speak for another person at all. But from what I know about the chief, he's more interested in the work. Uh, and, and less about the politics. Yep. Um, I think that's that's something that we we both can kind of find a common ground on that we so, want to do that. So work. let's transition from this discussion the work to the politics. Yeah. The the, the 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 accountability discussion of it, which is what we just talked about. Now to the um, supporting and raising our police officers up, which clearly the most tangible example of that is the budget process we're in the middle of. They've requested raises. They've made some great cases, many of which are anecdotal many of which are morale-based, but also many of which point at data that we have almost a 10% gap in our ability to uh, attract and retain a full uh, department right now, which is, which is significant. And I want to transition with just a real quick recap of what I did Friday night. Friday night after, one, it was police week and it was emotional with all that stuff, two, the budget, and three, and most importantly, our colleague Luana Mayfield's tweet and, and what she said um, again, be in fairness to her, it, it's never a fair time to say this, but she made a tweet two months ago that uh, likened police officers to terrorists. And um, she painted it with a bit of a broad brush. And that sentiment, I don't think is okay in, in any setting, but, um, but then she doubled down on it and it really impacted morale. So I decided to go and do a ride along with uh, third shift Metro Friday night. They, uh, they, they suited me up with uh, a bulletproof vest. I tossed on. To be fair, you suited yourself. Well, up, I man. did. I did. I did say for safety. I didn't safety wear a vest on my ride. I didn't either. Yeah, well, you probably running through South Park or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> South Park. But look, I wanted to be. I said I wanted to be dropped in the uh, in the crap essentially of the the most challenging environment that our officers face, and they said third shift metro is going to give you the greatest. 
I'd like to also look as much like G.I. Joe as possible. I did. Uh, hey, funny story. I put the uh, vest on outside my shirt, and then after my chops got busted like three times in a row by officers, I then took my shirt off and put it on Jared, the inside. You know who he is? Jared Kushner. <laughs> Jared Terrible. Kushner. Terrible. Wearing the vest on the outside it, 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 of the Okay, outfit. so we, I left the, the, the department with it on the inside. It, you always wear it on the but inside. But the, the staff strapped me up with a, a, a harness with a GoPro, and then they gave me some things to actually take footage and capture, because what I want to do is capture it myself. I met the most quality folks. I rode along from 8.15 until 5 a.m., and I mean, it'll be in the video. I won't recap it all now, but I saw firsthand domestic violence calls, multiple. Go, the fear of walking into not just a, a, a an area at night where you don't know who's coming at you where, but inside people's houses where we saw a gun on a bed, and you don't know who's going to jump out, and these guys were all hardened to it. It was like, oh, what are you, what's wrong with this guy? I'm like, I, well, I I'm so tar- scared. Tar- in the corner. Uh, yeah, I'm so scared. Crying like a child. But then we saw, we saw, we you know, drug bust. We saw, uh, uh, we, we we responded to a, a shooting where we found some shell casings, and then the second response, we were like second or third on the scene for a man who was shot twice, and then they saved his life. I mean, I saw some things that really changed my perspective. And I guess my question here is, I saw the the worst of what our city has to offer. I saw the best of what our city has to offer, and not just the best of our police who work just incredible at night, but also the best of some of those neighborhoods. I saw some, some small kids walk up to the police officers after a really intense situation and say, hey, do you guys have any of those, uh, those police badge stickers? And they're like, oh, yeah, we've got some tattoo things in the back. They handed it out, and they were ta- – it was just beautiful. It was wonderful. So my – did they give you on pom poms with that vest? Yeah, of course oh, they did. But I said no. I, I brought my own. So, so I guess my question here is this: It's complex, and when we talk about the people in the national news that have abused their power, that haven't been held accountable, that is like 0.01 percent of all of them. And then when we talk about another topic that you have made me well aware of, Braxton, which is implicit bias, that exists. I don't disagree with that. Right. I had my own little moment of implicit bias just inside that that own scenario. But they are still operating in good faith. They just don't realize it's training there. So when you look, the vast majority are doing all these incredible things and what they're going through and the intensiveness of it. They are paid such a small amount of money. Isn't it time for us to hold them accountable like we were talking about in that first uh, conversation? but also do something extraordinary for the salary and what that would mean to them. Yeah, my biggest criticism about police and police, my biggest criticism about police and policing really lies on an institutional level. The way we look at um, how we handle one another and what we want government to be able to do um, um, to, to ensure, to create a sense of safety and security uh, for certain people. Uh, because while, you, you know, we, we definitely valorize people that go into these situations, we always, always have to remember that there are thousands of people that don't get to go home at the end of the day and get out of it, that they live in those situations that the police deal with every minute of their lives. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm lo- always looking how to, how do we not just um, um, support the police that go into these situations, but how do we create neighborhoods and environments where all of that works better, right? So their, 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 their job is, is easier. Yes. Uh, but look, I'm a workers' rights person. 
I believe that you But that's two separate conversations, is it not? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Two totally separate conversations. We can't expect them to fix the problem that we haven't solved through policy and regulation and law all the way up to the federal level. Or just culture, not just government. Like, how do we, how do we, as as Chief Putney said, right? This is all, there's three sides, there's multiple sides to it. There's a government side, there's an agency side, and there's a community side. How do we get all these sides uh, to correspond and and, and work uh, to the same ends? But like you said you know there is a pay issue and and police officers our police officers are underpaid when it when it comes down to it you really can't make um uh, make ends uh, you know you can't talk around that um so i do believe that people should get paid uh, uh for work and like you said uh during one of our budget discussions how do we as an employer uh, become a, a, an employee of choice as opposed to a, an employer of, of last resort? Right. Um, if, if we, I think there are several different jobs um, as a, a, in a government, but one of those is, is jobs is to set the example for how, other, how, you, how everybody else should operate within the city. Um, so we have to fi- figure out ways to pay our employees, police, firemen, but all city workers, the wages that um, that they deserve and that they earn. Um, let's let's face it. Our city employees, government employees, are the ones that take the haircut when times get tough, and that's what's happened here. My father, I grew up the son of a fireman, and you're never going to get rich for it, right? You're never going to get rich from it. But the grand bargain is that you're taking care of for doing the service to, uh, to the people. And those jobs, and you, you, you do get taken care of as a New York City fireman, as a New York City police officer, as a New York City school teacher. Um, that was the grand bargain. But that's not happening now. After 2008, who was the first one to take, a, to, to, to take those cuts? Our firemen, our police officers, our teachers, our water workers. How, do you, how are you going to tell me that we're going to ask our firemen and our police officers to run into these dangerous and stressful situations, and then when they get out of it, they say, say that, oh, I want to go talk to a psychologist, or I have to deal with this PTSD, or I have to deal with this thing that happened to my knee when I was running all up. Uh, well, you're going to have to figure out how to pay for it because we're not going to do you it see, for this you. Is, That's ridiculous. This is the side of you that I, I mean, we've worked together, the three of us here, on on a daily basis for six months. I've seen this side of you. What was interesting, the guy I rode along with, we, we found out halfway through the journey, he went to school at the same t- time as you as an anthropology major, and he had multiple classes and, and knew exactly who you were. So he gave me some some interesting and a super professional feedback that I want to just toss at you to hear your thoughts, which is, he he sees you and knew you beforehand. And I asked him, what was he like in college? And he was like, so I, I was he he this guy seemed like a super like mature and put together dude and he was like he always seemed more mature than the rest of us and I was like oh wow okay great so you had your stuff together then Saturday night. Yeah. but <laughs> here's also an he, old soul here's also what he said he said he drinks like he my said, old uncle <laughs> at, at the you know from September of sixteen until now a huge chunk of the officers. They pay attention to what's going on, but they don't see some of the inside stories, the inside dialogue. And some of them, not him. He said specifically not him because he knew you before and watched it more closely. They saw you as you were um, famous, you know, nationally. Australia, we've talked about this. Famous um, for that picture. If they don't know anything else, they saw that picture. No shirt on, standing in front of a police line with your fist raised. And then they saw that rise to where you are today very very rapidly to now you're a council member and a lot of them think he rose to become an elected official over top of CMPD 
among many other things, by being the opponent of CMPD. They didn't. They don't hear what you just said about balancing it. I have for six months. He said he also knew there was more to it. But that's the sentiment. How, how do you feel about knowing that if he is indeed right, there's a huge chunk of officers who only see you as someone who was elected to be against them and to to do the things that you know we, we've discussed that are on the opposite side of this 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 debate. Well, I would say that it's not just a chunk of CMPD. There's a chunk of the city that thinks of that. There's going to be a chunk of the state. There's going to be a chunk of the nation. Um, I, you know, I often like to say I don't like to be. I don't want to be a politician. I just want to be a a, a leader. I want to be a leader in government. Um, I want to do the work. Um, so I, I just have to make sure that I'm always saying what I mean and I mean what I say. Because I know that not everybody's going to hear it. But if they do, if they do take those few minutes, those few seconds to kind of listen in, that they'll always be able to get an idea of, of what the point actually is, of what the, the issues are of merit. Um, so that's how I try to. I don't, I don't, I, I, I have... I have I have friends and I have people that don't really trust me on on all different sides. Um, so I just I, I'm confident that I'm trying to do the right thing. I have through my father first and foremost. I have three children. I have three black children. I have a, 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 a young black son and two young black daughters. So when that happened to Keith Lamont Scott, I started asking questions not for myself but trying to figure out how do I raise them in this situation that that we exist in. Um, so. It, that's where my motivation always came. So anybody who was part of those those discussions um, in September 2016, anybody that's uh, that's that's sat across the table from me, I think can feel that. Um, but you know, you don't always get that opportunity. I'm I'm, I'm one person, and I just got to continue to do um, what I think is right and and, and work with um, my folks. I think that's why we why what we have here on council. Um, we have we're very similar, I think, and we want this the best for Charlotte. Um, but we have different values and different approaches, so I think we can all supplement each other. We so go out there and be ourselves. Can all three of us agree that we condemn that tweet that Luana sent out, even though it was two months ago? Yeah. Not 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 condemn and be against holding them accountable, but condemn a broad brushstroke of police officers are associated with terrorists. Yeah, I, I will say too that a couple of things. One, and you know, if you say certain amount of people think Braxton is such and such, I mean, I, I think that applies to all of us. I mean, there's going to be people who pay varying levels of attention to the work that's going on here and perceive someone to be all good, all bad, all for cops, all against cops, all for whatever or against whatever. Um, I think the same applies to Luana. I think people who look at some of her more, you know, controversial social media postings and think she's all whatever they think she is, that's probably unfair. They look at us and say young council members and they say, well, they're all, you know, they don't care about tradition or they don't care about the rules or they don't respect their elders or whatever. Whatever it is, I mean, people draw these huge, again, you said her tweet painted with a broad brush and I agree that it did and it did so recklessly and in a way that is damaging to the morale of, of many of our employees of this city, but um, you know, I think lots of people do themselves and, and others a disservice by painting with a broad brush. So I absolutely, um, absolutely condemn what she tweeted and I condemn the 9-11 thing and I, I think they're unnecessary distractions. I do still hold out hope that um, the one thing that I think matters about that tweet being two months old is I'm still hoping that she is honoring her commitment to um, take a step back from posting 
things that are divisive and distracting. Um, this was well before the first controversy had just got dug back up. Doesn't make the tweet itself any better, but it does give me hope that she might have meant it when she said, I'm not going to be that distraction anymore. I'm not going to be uh, out in front of myself on social media as much as I have been in the past. Um, but no, I mean, there's to me, there's no excuse for, for ever saying acting like an entire group of people is bad or for that matter, an entire group of people is good. Yeah, I mean, that picture, I was standing in front of a, a police officer named Shannon Finnis. Uh, she's my friend. You know, she's Mine a good too. Shout out, Shannon. Uh, District 1. And I, I stood there because I told her I was going to stand in front of her when she was one of the first cops that arrived in riot gear. And I said, I don't know why you have all that stuff on, but I don't need all that stuff. And there's people started throwing rocks. I was like, I'm going to stand in front of you. You know, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect you. Maybe if, you, if they see me standing here, they won't throw rocks at us. Because I don't need all of that really? stuff. Really? Yeah. I never heard that. Uh, I met Shannon Finnis a year before outside of my outside of my house when my neighbor was badly beaten. Every bone in her face was broken by a pipe. Dude, by, that by is her a boyfriend. that is a and that they, is a story that has never been related to at least me and, in that in that image and when, that is iconic at this point from I, a Charlotte perspective. I found I found. Um, I found this woman beaten uh, with her son, with uh, her blood all over her son. I was in, a, a, a lack of a better term, a wife beater in my boxers, and that's it. And those police officers rolled up, and they found at 1 o'clock in the morning me in bare feet in my drawers holding a two-year-old child covered in his mother's blood with a woman. Her face was so grotesquely beat, it looked like a Muppet. And the house was on fire that we were standing in front of. There was smoke coming to, to the house. Those police officers could have reacted a different way. Um, I had to convince them that they needed to control that fire scene and they needed to let me walk away with this obviously badly beaten victim um, and to, to get her to safety. And we've had a relationship since. Uh, so... So you don't think of her as a terrorist? Uh, no. Um, I, I also believe that on that night... CMPD was there to brutalize us. They were not there to keep us safe. They were not there. Uh, really? To, yeah. They weren't. They were not. This is something I've said from day one. They were there. You believe they were there to brutalize you? Uh, that's what they did. That's what they did. That is what they did that first night. He means the night of the. You've switched to the night of the protest. Uh, September yes. Yeah. 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 I feel like there was two roles for CMPD to play that night. That they could have created a safe space for peaceful protests to occur, or they could have arrested people so they could have their day in the court, both tied to, to constitutional rights. And that's not what happened. They wanted us to leave that night. They wanted us to, 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 to feel enough pain where we would go home and nothing, nothing would be talked about in the morning. And that's not what happened. We inhaled tear gas for hours. I got shot by CMPD. I, 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 don't, I don't know any, any other way to put it. Um, there were mistakes made. That night. I have no doubt that mistakes were made that might have caused some escalation that didn't need to happen. What, what I'm, but what I'm saying to, to say that they came there with the intent of brutalizing, I think that to me doesn't. Feel I don't right. know if I don't know if the, that was the intent, but that's what. This happened. is a group of individual that's, humans that the guys and, and ladies I saw on Friday night at Metro. Yeah. they didn't. They didn't come in with an Absolutely. agenda. They're like just said, trying to live. Like man. I, they're trying to stay alive. Like I said, they they're were, just as scared. Probably these, there were mistakes that, that that were made. And again, like I said, a lot of people in a lot of our neighborhoods would say that they're just trying to survive. So what I'm saying, and is I'm not that saying I, anything I don't against think, that. I don't think Luana's tweet did anything to move our, of the business of our city. Forward. I think it hurt us. I think it. I think it, it did. Further I think divided it, us. I think it hurt us as a council, and I, hurt, I think it hurt the conversation. 
Um, but there are a lot of people that are, that that feel uh, like the sentiments that were expressed in Luana's tweet, and, and we have to figure out ways to bridge these gaps. But we yeah. have to we have to ex- extract that from calling the people that are there for the causes they're there from maybe some processes. Because this is all about well, responding in the moment. We have to figure out a way to get all of those people at the table, and so that we can we can have. But a, we've some been type of doing response. just that, we have, and we're yeah. only six months in. Yeah, absolutely. And we've already made a little bit of progress. Well, we have, but we always got to remember we got to find ways to bring those people. But in we got to so make sure we don't ones improperly those. point that microscope and that bullhorn of that message at the individuals who are just trying to do their job as best as they can, who don't have ill intent. I would wager that they came there that night not thinking, hey, how can I brutalize Braxton and everyone else out there? They came out there saying, okay, what do we do? What's the protocol? What do we do next? And maybe, maybe out of a thousand people, there was one dude who was like overly zealous because that's maybe it. That's, but that's the super minority. So bring to bring this full circle, I think this is a really important reason why we have to get the initial t- minute by minute accounting of the story right, so that we can start, we can deal so with the whole. So we can fix the process exactly. And going we can, forward, we can talk about what happened. Not we point can the figure it out, and not not to point fingers about yes. who's right, who's wrong. We and can I agree say with this that. is what happened. We can agree on it. This is how we deal with it in the future. This is not this an is easy conversation we, no, to it's have. Not. It's not. But guess what? We've developed a relationship amongst this council six months in that we can actually have a real conversation about this and disagree on points. And and I know we've got to wrap this segment up, but one thing I'll say, one more thing about that tweet. To Braxton's point, I have no doubt that there are people that have that sentiment, um, rightly or wrongly. But in the same way that, that w- I think we all, everybody pretty much gets frustrated when if a Muslim person commits an actual act of terror and then people say, well, Muslims are terrorists. That to me is just an ignorant, it's that broad brush. It's it, exact same, it, yeah, that, exact same that, parallel. That Muslim that committed that act is a terrorist. That does not make Muslims terrorists. There are police officers in this country that are doing awful things. That makes them an awful person. That does not necessarily make the police officers and as a whole awful people. And, and for police them, policies that are bad. That doesn't make the police department right. bad. And they're bad policies. And I will say, based on some of the emails we've gotten in the last week, there are elected officials who post divisive tweets that make people really angry. That doesn't mean that we all as elected officials are, are that same way. So, I mean, when people are, are emailing and saying, well, they all are all like this, it's like, well, no. No, no group of people is all like anything. And so... The Observer recommended censure. No Do you think that's there? Actually, is there is that we there is no I will yeah so that we should it just doesn't mean anything other than symbolic. it means the same thing as a proclamation. If you believe that the positives of pro, of a proclamation when we say it's Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence Day or this charity did great stuff to relay a message of support and positivity, a censure it's has no teeth behind it. It's the opposite. It's 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 meant to when we as a council need to say something in a unified voice. Just to send a message? That's what a censure is for. And that is a thing that we could do, um, and I don't think it's worth us spending much time talking about. One thing we can't do, people are emailing us saying, oh, well, you should you should remove her from yeah, office. Impossible. We have no power to do that. That's not a thing we can do. Um, but a censure is, is something, yeah, we could do it, but I, I don't know that it accomplishes anything. What does it achieve? The, the argument I've heard back is... It does undermine the interpersonal relationships. It does. And, and look, the fact of the matter is... But it us, sends a resounding message that we don't agree with that point. That's... That is true. However, I would argue that none of us ran on council to try to be 
you know, the thought police of our colleagues. We ran on to get on council to work on affordable housing, to work on upward mobility, to work on stuff like that. And, to and this me, is just a huge It's another distraction that gives more oxygen to a, a story that we wish would would. I would have totally agreed with that a week ago. But now after I've heard a lot of messages and talked to a lot of the guys and girls and, and went on that ride along, they they don't necessarily know that there isn't kind of an overriding feeling that they're just, I mean, they already have this morale problem. Uh, that's, well, that's hopefully they listen to R&D and the QC. Yeah, I, I think, think we, covered, it, we talked about a lot of really I think we've stuff. made it pretty clear that, uh, that we don't agree with it. We don't think police officers are terrorists. Again, because some people in a profession are bad people does not mean that everyone in that profession is a bad person, and that's a, a reckless statement to make. Um, Braxton, we'll give you the final word before we, we do our uh, customary closeout. Oh man, I appreciate. I really do appreciate what y'all doing. I mean, we, like I said, we need to to constructively move the conversations forward. We need to be able to talk about things on merit and not just with uh, with dog whistles. And that's what I'm proud of, of of being on council so far for the past five and a half months is that we've been able to do that. Even when we start to kind of raise our voices and get in our own kind of personal silos, we bring each other uh, back to the center um, to really do the work of the people. Um, I just want folks to know that if your city councilmen are not necessarily getting back to you as quickly and those emails or these phone calls over these past couple weeks, it's because we're knee deep in this budget. Hmm. And we're really doing the work. And some of us sure. are much more terrible at responding to emails than others. <laughs> but no, for real. Congratulations if you live in D1. <laughs> <laughs> Overachieve over here. Yeah. Um, but no, but we're, we're trying to do we're trying to do the work, um, and, and we're trying new things. But we're also trying to keep each other on 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 the best path. Because you like, have influenced me in my thinking in well, different like topics, I said, and I hope I have influenced you some. Like I said, absolutely, because like I said in, on the first day we were sworn in, we can be individual fingers and inflict some painful blows and scratches, but as a fist, we can really knock down some walls and do this work, and I think that's what we're, um, we're, 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 how we're approaching it every day. Guys, the Republican Party's big tent, we got a place for both of you in there. Yeah, we're not interested. Uh, <laughs> so we appreciate you coming on the podcast as always. And we appreciate all of you out there in Radio Land for listening. Uh, make sure you like, share, rate, all those good things. We made it through 20 episodes. 20? Congratulations. So, oh. uh, and, and the listenership keeps growing. And as we said in the and first episode. to you guys. We surpassed 11,000 downloads. Pretty strong. We'll talk to you all next week. Later. You're listening to R&D in the QC with Tariq Bakari and Mark and Eggleston. <laughs>